Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Wednesday, the 23rd of June. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Annika Smethos. Hey, Annika. Hey, Tom. And on today's briefing, the court case examining the fatal overdose of US rapper Mac Miller. Yeah, he died in 2018. He was 26 years old. It was a massive tragedy. There was a huge outpouring of grief at the time. And now the people that sold him the drugs will finally face court. It bought oxycodone pills that were laced with fentanyl. So um, it kind of took on this different sphere of suspicion, like who was involved in this and why did he have these pills that were counterfeit. We'll explore the death of Mac Miller and what his court case will tell you about America's most deadly drug, fentanyl. First, here are today's headlines. Health authorities have issued alerts for two flights between Sydney and New Zealand as the travel bubble with New South Wales is paused following the Bondi outbreak. So anyone travelling on the Qantas flight QF163 from Sydney to Wellington on Thursday or Air New Zealand NZ247 from Wellington to Sydney on Monday must now get tested and isolate for 14 days. The alerts come after the New Zealand government last night suspended the quarantine-free travel bubble between New South Wales and New Zealand for just 72 hours. That comes as they reopen the travel bubble with Victoria. Yeah, so New South Wales recorded 10 new local COVID cases yesterday uh, with all but one case, a primary school student, linked to the Bondi cluster. So one mystery case there brings that total Bondi cluster to 21 cases. And the Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, is still resisting a lockdown. Interesting to note that Melbourne shut down recently after 25 cases, so New South Wales getting close, but uh, so far less mystery cases, which is what really made those two clusters quite different. Yeah, that's what they really worry about. So fingers crossed they're all linked and already in quarantine. Yes, because this is getting me nervous about a couple of ski trips, one this weekend. I'm meant to be going to New Zealand next Friday as well, so that's now pause. I'm Slowly deflating my expectations. <laughs> you just got to get used to it, Tom. Don't lock in low expectations, mm. low expectations. And senior National Party MPs say they're open to net zero emissions by 2050 uh, as the party continues to negotiate with the Liberals following Barnaby Joyce's return as leader. National's Deputy Leader David Littleproud told Sky the party would consider supporting net zero but regional Australia had already carried the burden of progress made towards cutting back emissions. We've copped it in the neck in regional Australia for everyone to sleep soundly in metropolitan Australia, and it's time that our mob got repaid for it. Support will hinge on the government giving greater concessions to farmers, which could see agriculture excluded from net zero targets, or even payments repaid to farmers for helping cut greenhouse gas emissions. So here we are, Annika, it's what basically... Day two now of Barnaby Joyce's new reign as the National Party's leader, and we're already seeing this sort of back and forth on climate policy. Yeah, pretty unsurprising. This is <laughs> the one issue that leaders get chopped over in Australia. But look, it is good news if they're willing to accept that. I think there was an inevitability about the Liberals moving towards net zero. They just had to get the Nationals on board. And if they are willing to do it with concessions, I think that has to be seen as a good thing. Yeah, and News Corp are reporting that uh, Senator Bridget McKenzie will return to Cabinet after she was dumped following the sports rorts affair. The federal government says it will challenge UNESCO's decision to consider listing the Great Barrier Reef as in danger. This decision was made without due process. It was made on the basis of a desktop review. 
It hasn't even used the latest data. That's the Environment Minister Susan Lay speaking there. The UN's World Heritage Committee announced yesterday it would consider downgrading uh, the Great Barrier Reef to the endangered list at a meeting next month. The Commonwealth says it was blindsided by the decision and some government MPs have even suggested Chinese influence over the committee's decision. Yeah, what do you make of that accusation that, that China was behind this when there's a number of committee members from a number of countries involved in this decision? Uh, look, it's hard to know, but, uh, you know, it does come after China are pretty angry about us and our, um, I guess, referral and push for a review into where the origins of COVID started. So I think that's what it's based on. Having said that, as you say, this is not just a decision by China. I can understand why the government think they should come out and conduct more tests before they do this. I'm sure COVID has played into that a little bit. And we do know that it's in a really bad way, the reef. Marine experts, including Dr Scott Heron from James Cook University, say the government actually shouldn't even be surprised by this announcement. What we're seeing here is that the world is watching and the world is telling us we need more action. Chinese swimming star Sun Yang won't be allowed to compete at the Tokyo Olympics after the Court of Arbitration for Sport reinstated a four-year ban over a breach of doping rules. This goes back to an incident in 2018 where a member of his team smashed a vial of his blood with a hammer during blood tests. And this latest ruling is the result of a retrial which was ordered after the original eight-year ban uh, was overturned on appeal last year. And this new four-year ban is backdated to the start of last year. So it means he could be back for the Paris Olympics in 2024 um, but Annika, he'll be 32 by then. 32 is not over the hill, Tom. I'm <laughs> sure he'll be over to make it. I've never been fitter and I'm well past that age. I mean, <laughs> this has been a fascinating story, though. I think it came to a lot of Australians' attentions at the Rio Games where Mac Horton mm. made that big stand about Sun Yang and his record on doping. And it's been a real back and forth of whether or not he'd be back in time for Tokyo. And finally, just a month out from the game starting, we found out that he won't be competing. And a new online safety bill has passed Parliament. The bill extends the eSafety Commissioner's cyber takedown function to adults and gives the Commissioner the powers to issue takedown notices to services hosting content considered abusive. Yeah, so this is designed to protect people online from bullying and all kinds of abusive behaviour. The Greens, though, and some web experts have criticised uh, this new bill for giving too much power to the Commissioner. All right, in just a moment... The court trial and the death of Mac Miller. So this was the first Mac Miller track that got my attention. My brother actually sent it to me and goes, check out this bass line. And the track is called What's the Use? What's the Use? But as usual, I was extremely late to the party on Mac Miller. If you were late to the party, Tom, I was even later to that party. Look, Malcolm McCormack, that's his real name, had been releasing music since the age of 15. And that track actually came from his fifth album. He was absolutely prolific, building a massive following until this happened. Well-known rapper and producer Mac Miller found dead today. Authorities confirm here a death investigation is underway. Fans struggling with the fact that he is gone at the age of 26. So that was September 2018. Mac Miller died in his LA home 
It was an accidental overdose of fentanyl, cocaine and alcohol, according to the toxicology report released by the LA County Coroner's Office. LA prosecutors say Mac Miller thought he'd been sold the painkiller, oxycodone, but it had actually been laced with fentanyl, a powerful drug that's 50 times more potent than heroin. Soon afterwards, three men were charged, accused of conspiring and distributing cocaine and oxycodone pills laced with the fentanyl that caused the overdose. Swear the hype too tall, yeah. so like September I fall. Down, down, down below, now know that the medicine be on call. So fentanyl is the same substance that's been linked to the deaths of other famous musicians like Prince and Tom Petty. But this time around, US law enforcement have charged the suppliers of the drugs. And the latest news is that a trial will now go ahead on November 16, with prosecutors charging the three men for selling the drugs to Mac Miller and then continuing to sell the same deadly pills after Mac Miller's death. So in today's briefing, we're going to look into the trial of Mac Miller's death and also what his death tells us about the broader fentanyl problem in the US and around the world. Rian Daly is a British music journo who's followed this story for NME, one of the world's most respected music magazines. Rian, thanks for joining us. There was an enormous outpouring of grief when Mac Miller died. He was just 26. So why do you think he was so well-loved? What made him so special? I think in his music, he was just really honest and vulnerable. And he talked about you know his life in a really open way. He talks a lot about mental health issues and his addiction struggles and problems with drugs. Um, I think people really connected to that kind of honest side of him. His debut album, Blue Side Park, was a completely different kind of vibe. He was characterised as a frat rapper because it was kind of like more about partying and women and things like that. And then he kind of changed a lot. Um, in the years after that album, I think people really latched on to that. Yeah, and there seemed to be a real musicality to his rapping. There was also an incredible mm. level of musicianship on his music. I mean, What's the Use is the track that stands out to me with Thundercat, with that famous bass line. And there was also this connection to his hometown in Pennsylvania that seemed to really give his character some profile. Yeah, absolutely. I think you can just tell from his music that he was just a big music head. Like he grew up playing uh, piano, guitar, drums, bass. He was always listening to like a wide variety of artists, which I think you can see in like the people that he collaborated with, like Thundercat, like you said, uh, Snoop Dogg, John Mayer, lots of different types of people. And yeah, he had this connection with his hometown. His debut album, Blue Side Park, is named after a park in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, And there was even a memorial held there for him after he died. I wanted to ask you about his death. He overdosed in September 2018. He was 26. How was his death initially reported? Was it seen as suspicious or an accidental overdose? And how did that change over time? Um, I think at the time it was reported as just kind of like an accidental overdose he's known as having um the struggle with drugs but then the coroner's report came out which you know revealed that it was mixed drug toxicity um an accidental overdose of cocaine fentanyl and alcohol and slowly it became revealed that actually he'd bought oxycodone pills that were laced with fentanyl so um it kind of took on this different sphere of suspicion like who was involved in this and why did he have these pills that were counterfeit essentially we've seen a lot of artists overdose over the years unfortunately Mm. so why do you think 
the coronial inquest in this case um, pursued this line, I guess. You know, there does seem to be, in many of these cases, a sense that the person that's done this, you know, took a risk, whether they meant to overdose or not, whether it be Heath Ledger or Amy Winehouse. In this case, though, it was pretty soon after his death that that narrative changed, that perhaps this is not what he intended and, and that he had not taken what he thought he'd taken. Why do you think coroners went down that path so early? Mm, I think it's probably to do with um, the situation in America um, where there's a massive opioid crisis at the moment and fentanyl is at the centre of that. So often you'll find that there's a big problem with fentanyl being found in drugs. So a lot of people are overdosing on drugs laced with fentanyl. They're not realising what they're taking. So I think that's probably a lot to do with it. So what do we know about the three men who've been charged and who will face this trial in November? Yeah, there's three men. One of them is considered, I believe, to be kind of like the kingpin of this like drug ring in LA. One of them is allegedly just a runner. He's claiming he was just involved in this one transaction with Mac Miller. And then there's another guy who is alleged to have been the one who sourced the counterfeit pills himself and was aware of the fact that they were counterfeit. They were arrested in 2019 and they've been held in custody ever since. They haven't been allowed out because they allegedly were selling, continuing to sell drugs after Mac Miller died with the knowledge that the drugs that they were selling were not what they were telling people they were. And yeah, they're going to trial in November finally, uh, which was announced a few weeks ago. And they've all pleaded not guilty as well, I should add. How do we know, I guess I was wondering about the evidence, what he was intending to purchase and the level of knowledge these three men had in what they were selling? Was there text messages? Was there a paper trail that sort of exposed some sort of transaction? Because this isn't your normal sort of, you know, transaction where you have consumer rights. Yeah, so I think there were texts from Mac to one of the guys who've been arrested at least asking for specific things. And then there are also texts between the people who've been arrested and, you know, friends or like associates or whatever. One of the texts from one of them was saying something about how he thought that he was going to end up serving 20 years in jail or spending the rest of his life in jail because of Mac Miller dying. Yeah, so what do you think this story says more broadly about fentanyl in the music industry? We know that fentanyl is the biggest killer of all the drugs in America, more than heroin now. It's taken a heavy toll on the music industry in particular, mostly because they're high-profile people. They're they're celebrities like Prince, Tom Petty, um, also musicians from Slipknot, Three Doors Down, Wilco. Do you think there's a particular problem with fentanyl and painkillers in the music industry? And some of these artists say they were using them legitimately, like Prince and Tom Petty had serious injuries that they had to work through to get on stage. So do you think it's a particular music industry thing? Or is this just the same problem that the rest of society in America and other countries around the world is grappling with at the moment? I would say it's probably more broadly just society in general is dealing with this issue and just these musicians are a cross-section of society. Um, Like you say, some of them are using painkillers with fentanyl in for legitimate injuries or problems and they've just taken too much or become too dependent on it. And then other people like Mac Miller have unfortunately taken pills that they didn't know had fentanyl in it. I think, you know, it's just a big problem in the music industry of 
they're not being support for drug issues a lot of the time and people you know like people kind of sensationalize musicians with drug habits and the tabloids and things like that and so maybe people are less likely to kind of seek help when they need it. Do you think this will change the way we view celebrity deaths in this way? It's been you know, such a, I guess, plague on this industry for so long. And often it is just dismissed as they were troubled or perhaps it was intentional, perhaps it wasn't. But we haven't seen this level of, I guess, scrutiny. So do you think in the future this will change our perspective on these deaths? I would like it to change our perspective on these kind of deaths um, because I think what Mac Miller's death shows us is that there's more than meets the eye to a story like this. It's not as black and white as someone took drugs, someone overdosed, someone died. There's more to it. Whether that will actually change or not, though, I think is uh, something only time will tell. That was Rianne Daly, a music journo from London. Uh, if you want to follow her work, get her on Twitter, Rianne underscore. Annika, I think this story raises important questions about how we regulate these dangerous pharmaceutical drugs. Clearly, if you make them too hard to get legally, like at the pharmacist, you get people selling them on the black market with devastating effect. Yeah, and it's an amazing, I guess, flip in responsibility. Often these people have been blamed for their own deaths and now we're looking at what they intended to buy versus what they ended up with, which is really interesting in an unregulated environment. As you say, if this was sold through a pharmacy, there would be a a right of action, a recourse you could take if you were sold the wrong product. Yeah, it's such a, a vexed problem. Hopefully it doesn't kill too many more people or take out too many more of our loved musicians. Tomorrow on The Briefing, a fascinating story about grief and food. Listener.